Welcome. You are about to enter the Wooniverse. In five, four, three, two, one. Transport complete. Come inside a mystical, magical portal between worlds. I really believe in the magic of life. There's just magic everywhere, and if we open ourselves up to that, it can touch us. Where playful curiosity leads the way and beyond. It does not matter what you've done, the angels will always find your light. You won't believe the ahas that come up in every single conversation. There is a world out there, and we are part of, not separate from that world. I can't wait to explore this enchanting space with you. I wanted people to know that they could heal themselves, that they weren't stuck with whatever it is they had. They were not stuck. Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast coming to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. Hello and welcome to Inside the Wooniverse. I'm Colette Baron-Reed and I am so happy to be here with you in this cozy little portal of fun. Today, we are joined by one of the most gentle yet powerful souls I have ever met, the lovely Asha Frost. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Asha. Asha is an enrolled member of Cape Croker First Nation. She is an Indigenous medicine woman, spiritual mentor, ceremonial speaker, and author. Asha has also been a homeopath for the last 18 years and is the author of an upcoming Hay House book called You Are the Medicine. And I'm going to tell you, I have read this book. I got a chance to read it before it's being published and it is awesome. Asha is also a member of the Crane Clan and believes wholeheartedly in the power within to heal our bodies, our spirits, and our lives. Her spirit name is She Who Walks With the Thunderbirds. Asha is able to clearly see one's presence power in medicine, and invites people deeper into their own wise knowing. Oh my gosh, it's so nice to be here with you today. I'm so excited, Asha. Welcome. Oh, me too. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, I'm so excited to talk. Okay, I'm ready to dig in. Let's do this. Let's go right back to the beginning when you were a little kid. Now, what was it like growing up? And were you always in touch with your spiritual gifts and your spirituality? And how did your family handle it? I love that question. I wanted to start by saying my mother was a really beautiful space holder for my spiritual gifts. And she was a really beautiful holder of also my sensitive nature. And she tried to really protect that and take care of that. So as a little girl, I would dream a lot. And my mother would ask me what my dreams were. And we'd talk about what I imagined the night before. And she was always so excited to talk about those things with me. She would share about our ancestors and the spirit animals and the land and how we cared for those things. So that was always in the background. Of, of marinating in my home. And then I would see my ancestors a lot. So they'd show up as actually dark figures in my room beside me or at the foot of my bed. They would drum and sing and chant and, and give me messages. And I was totally freaked out. <laughs> I didn't really know who they were, why they were here. But at that time, my mother just listened to me. So she didn't say I was wrong. She didn't say I was making it up. She didn't try to fix me. She just held space. And that was probably very profound for my child self. Wow, that's amazing that your mom did that for you because, you know, a lot of other mothers could have just said, oh, that's in your imagination and you're just making it up. It's like amazing that you had that mom who'd said, hey, this is interesting. And she sounded pretty neutral about it too. I think that's so cool. You use the word medicine a lot, the idea of medicine. So can you define the concept of medicine and how medicine is within us and in the world? 
Yes. So I think if you look at the dictionary, the the definition is about something that we take to make ourselves, to heal ourselves, to make ourselves better. And although I believe in that definition, that's a great definition. I also see it inside of us that we have this sacred pulse or this vital force that that is inherent in us. It's a power and presence we come to the earth with. So we carry a medicine. I think that we are here to share with the world. It's also something external to us that will help us remember who we are to come back to that divine nature or to come back to that truest essence. So whether it be an animal spirit medicine or a plant medicine or a homeopathic medicine, it's something we take in and then we come home to that remembering. So those are the ways that I see medicine interacting from within. Um, And the more we can claim that and be in it, I think that the world will just be a better place, a more healed place. And your book is called You Are the Medicine. That's coming out soon. It's amazing because the idea is that we're not broken, right? That we're whole. We're always whole. We've just forgotten that. Yes, I love that. I think that especially even in our new age teachings, you know, or even in like natural health, it's sort of like, do this juice cleanse, do this, do these smoothies, take these supplements. There's always that feeling of like somehow we're not enough. And um, I don't believe that. So you would say that medicine was something that is inherent already within us. And I love that you say that we're not broken. As you know, I say that too. And I do think Mm -hmm. that we have to change that. Everybody thinks they are. They talk about, I need to fix this. I'm going to work on myself. And no, it's like work with yourself, right? You know, and, and do it that way. So would you say then, when you say that medicine is within us and in the world, you're looking at it as a holistic way of seeing things? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. And it really comes from being a homeopath. As a homeopath, we believe we have a vital force. So when someone sat in front of me, I would actually see like a vision of their vital force and it's always pulsing at us. Sometimes there's just things that are interrupting that flow. So that's what a remedy would do. I'd give a remedy and then the body would remember, the spirit would remember, um, and then the wholeness would start to come back. So it, I think my my um, image of medicine comes from that vital force and sitting with thousands of people as a homeopath and seeing how you could reclaim that vitality really simply and really effortlessly. So let's talk about how your journey in becoming a medicine healer, you know, went. Because I think that there's a really beautiful transition between you working as a homeopath, Mm -hmm. right? Where you started on that journey and then you started putting in the indigenous medicine to that as well. Like you married the two. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that because you have a really unique and unusual story. Yes. So, I mean, I always knew I was a healer, I think from a child. I just had that sensitive, empathic, wanting to help, wanting to offer love to everyone. Everyone. When I became a homeopath, I just like, this is it. You know, this is energy and this is like spirit. And I love this. Um, and I've been really on a journey of healing myself. I was diagnosed with lupus at 17. So things just kept cracking open. Like, I want to go deeper. I want to learn why this is happening. And it was just a self discovery. So when I was a homeopath for a couple of years, I actually felt this calling of just going deeper into the body and into the energy field. And I started taking some shamanic training and seeing shamans and seeing guides and thinking, oh my goodness, I understand this. I know this. I can do this. So it really was a journey of my healing myself and then seeing what was happening in my own body, my own system, my own connection. And it just kind of cracked open this path of like, now you're here to do this for others. So it was sort of like an awakening or sort of just like this initiation that happened that just continues to happen. I tend to work with a lot of people to help facilitate that healing. And then I learned so much in my own way of how I can deliver that to others. But that happened maybe in my 30s, I'd say. I started to really crack open that medicine woman path, helping me to just come home to myself. 
So let's back up a little bit because there's a big space between 17 and 30s. (laughs) That's a lot of years in there. (laughs) If you don't mind, I'd like to dial us back there. So you're 17 years old, you've been diagnosed with lupus and you decided to go to college when? Because this is a big deal to be told that you have this. And where were you Mm -hmm. living at the time? That's the other thing. Like where and what was the environment that you were in? Because I do think that our environment, like remember everything is a frequency, our environment impacts us in ways in which that, you know, it's part of our story. So I'd love to tell that part of your story and Mm -hmm. see how that brought you where you are. So at 17, I was in in a relationship that wasn't healthy for me. So when I think back and I've done a lot of this work, I can see how that was sort of a little bit of that stress that came into my field to crack open what was probably there and what was sort of just kind of waiting to come in in a period of stress. That relationship lasted seven years. And I think Um, It taught me so much, but it also was that sort of that push into that lupus kind of coming forward. I was living actually where I'm living now um, in Newmarket, um, going to high school here. And I wanted to go to university to become a child psychologist. I just thought that was the best thing. I love children and I thought that was going to be my path. But then when I got really sick, I didn't get really sick until university because Ah, that was the stress just piled on. And at that time, the doctors are like, you need more steroids, you need prednisone, you need anti-malarial drugs. And they put me on all these meds and I got sicker and my sensitive being couldn't handle it. So I needed a new way. And a mother of one of my best friends at the time said, why don't you see a naturopath? This could be something that could really help you. And I remember I saw this naturopath who was this incredible homeopath. And she said to me, here's a remedy. It was one little tiny pill and said, this is for your shyness and your empathic nature. This is for your child self. And it's going to help to heal your hair loss, your skin problems, like all of the stuff that lupus was was going on in my body. Um, And it did. Like my hair stopped falling out. I wasn't anxious of dying anymore, just from that one little catalyst of, of homeopathic remedy. And that just was like, I need to do this. Like I need to become a naturopath. At the time I was going to become a naturopath. But as spirit always weaves through your life, you know, I got like a 65 in organic chemistry and I didn't make it to naturopathic college. (laughs) So um, I just flunked out in organic chemistry. So I was, um, it just, it redirected me, right? right? At the time I was devastated. I was like, I want to be a naturopath. Why isn't this working? Um, so I went to homeopathy school because you didn't need organic chemistry to go there. So um, I did that after my four-year psychology degree. And then I went to homeopathy school for three years. But as I said, the first day I was there, I was like, this is it. No right. wonder spirit has guided me here. No wonder that was that failure was actually something that was way more aligned for me. And that really taught me something in my life of, oh my goodness, like we just don't know. Spirit has that guidance that's always going to always going to align us with what's best for us. Even at the time, if it's really devastating, it always aligns us. Oh, I love that story. Because isn't that true? That when we think that we want one thing and we're really focused, we get attached to the form. And then that form doesn't work out and we have a divine detour, but we don't see it as a divine detour at all, right? So... What I loved about your story, and I'd like to revisit because I know a lot of people have felt these things, like they think they're going in one direction, all of a sudden that they're not, and then they're feeling super devastated. And the next thing you know, wow, this is exactly where I need to be. Do you think we could be a little bit more graceful about that? <laughs> right? I mean, I've been there too. You know my story. I mean, the whole music thing, I was, I was like doing readings. No, I don't do this really. I'm really a singer. Don't, don't come back next year. <laughs> then I realized, yes. wait a sec, maybe I am this. So... You say that, and in your book, you talk about 
we are all healers and you say you are the medicine. And what does that actually mean? And do you believe everybody has inherent healing powers? And how does that work? Because I I don't want to lose the thread of that homeopathic story because you've been doing it Mm -hmm. 18 years. So when you started seeing that, where's the correlation between those two concepts? Yeah, I think it really was using so many remedies with people, especially children, because they were so... Children are so vitalistic, like they're so filled with that divine force still. So even with my own children, I give them a remedy and the next day they're they're healed. You know, it's just like, I think it's just seeing that frequent um, pulse of that vital force coming back to life somehow. It just showed me, it proved to me, it was like evidence for me that we can heal ourselves, but mostly it's really in my own life. Like there were times where I couldn't walk up the stairs or get out of bed or put my socks on or write or play the piano because the arthritis was so bad in my body that getting the right remedy just cured that or healed that. So it's sort of like going from this like devastating, intense, excruciating pain to seeing that I can heal from that too. So if I can do it, I believe everybody can do it. Right. If I can do it, you can do it. This is really important because you didn't mention the arthritis. You said you have lupus. So you've had a lot of issues to have experience so that you can firsthand know that, wait a sec, this works. So now I'm going to share this with other people. So do you think it's emotional, mental, psychological? What is it? Because you talked about it being a frequency. So how does that Mm -hmm. frequency show up with people and how do they access that healing capacity within them? Mm -hmm. That's a big question. It is. But I think that we're made up more of the sum of our parts, right? We are body, mind, and spirit. And the emotional story is probably what I love to dig into the most, like just to really get to that level. And even the spiritual or ancestral story, I know this lupus is beyond this timeline. I know it's part of the history of some intergenerational trauma that flows through my body. I know it's part of some ancestral pain that I have somehow chosen, I don't know why, to move through my physical body. So I do believe that it goes so deep. And if we're not connecting to our emotional selves or our spiritual selves, we're missing so much of the wholeness of who we are. So I believe our physical bodies are very important too. It just, it really is. It's almost like the medicine wheel. Every single part of the season and the cycle is important and every part of ourselves is equally important. Um, But I love diving into the emotions. Yeah. You said a very important thing just now. You said the word chosen and you made a joke about it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that people... When you think about, oh, I don't know why I chose this because I chose it. It's that sense of accountability that I'm responsible for this or that I have taken it on without blame. That's very important because in this, you know, sometimes you notice in new age circles, it's like, oh, I manifested this and there's this whole thing about blaming and shaming and naming and all this stuff. When in fact, it's an energy of frequency that can hone us, right? It's like sharpening the the knife. It's not a bad thing when we come in with, mm-hmm. right? It's there. It's it's an invitation to heal. Would you agree with me? Oh my goodness. Yes. A, a huge invitation. And I've gotten to the point this past year because I have struggled a lot in my physical body that I've sort of set a boundary to say, I've done a lot of this work now. I've shifted a lot for the seven generations to come. I'm not going to move it through my physical body anymore. Like that is, you know, I've, I've had to come to that place where I'm just like, I kind of felt like responsible for a long time to do that. And now I'm like, you know what? I can redirect the energy. I can be the healer of that energy, but I'm not going to move it actually through my physical body. So I think we go on evolution too of being a chosen one and how much we're going to take on and, and how much of that mission we're going to 
to step up in the world, but I now want ease and abundance and grace and flow. But I had to come to this point of actually choosing that. I love that you said that. This is so profound because people don't realize that they can um, or they think it's too hard. And it's I, I think it's that kind of idea of hitting a bottom, you know, and, mm-hmm. and getting to that place where you've hit that bottom like you just did. And then it said, I'm done now. I'm done carrying this. And when we reach that point, that nadir point, and we can surrender it to the universe, it is profound. It's very profound. Mm-hmm. So what I heard you say, if it's correct, it's that that moment where you have that choice point and things have changed for you directly as a result of that. Mm-hmm. As I know, as I've met you around the, I'm choosing ease and abundance part. Right? So, yes, yes. And it's like, whoa, this is so cool. So there is the answer to the question I asked you that, you know, does everybody have inherent healing powers, but it has to be an evolutionary process. That's what you said. I think that's really profound. So how do you practice self-care now? Um, Do you have any advice for others? And how did you, again, take that moment, right? You're now in that moment. I'm done with this. I'm going to focus on this. Now, how do you foster that? Mm, that's such a good question because I think it's a, again, a lifelong process. I was not good at that maybe 10 years ago. Every day I take a salt bath. This is very simple. Every day I take a salt bath because I just, I pick up, I'm an empath and I'm like this projector in human design and I soak up everything. So I really make sure I do that as like a ceremony for myself every single day. I love to walk outside in the forest. That is like self-care to me every day. I love to do nervous system practices. I do a lot of shaking I notice like old patterns and beliefs that are coming in and I I attend to them in the moment if I can. I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of dancing and listening to music. So really this year, self-care is about joy and boundaries. Boundaries is the hugest um, part of self-care for me. It's been my biggest life lesson. I'm still not perfect at it. But I when I can weave boundaries into my self-care, then um, I always I always feel healthier and more balanced. Um, yeah, so saying that no. The no that is yeah. sacred. Yeah, like no, yes. that's not for me. No, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, especially when you're a healer and you have that expectation that you're supposed to be there for everybody. So salt bath and no, right? That's like Duncan no. <laughs> That's the special self-care guy by Asha Frost. Duncan no, yes. Yes. It's so hard though, right? It's so hard. I know you and I both have Libra rising. It's very difficult for us to say no when we're trying to make everybody happy all the time. I get it. Now, you have a beautiful ancestral practice. And how do you personally apply the ancient wisdom and ancestral medicine that you've learned in your own life? So is there rituals that you do? What, how do you, how do you apply all that? I, I really like to listen. Like I'd like to practice listening and that is through my dream time. That's like a huge piece and part of my ancestors coming through with messages and they often come through an animal medicine. So I'll dream of um, eagle feathers or orcas or moose. Like they'll come through very particularly like that. My grandfather comes in a moose now. So I get to know my ancestors in just different ways. And then I speak to them every day. I do a prayer, usually in the shower in the morning, because the water is a conduit for that connection for me for some reason. And they will guide me in that way. So I think it's important that we just find our own way to speak to them. But they come in a very particular frequency, I guess. Like it feels like a rush of wisdom or it feels like a warmth or a fire that's before me. And I can feel that take over me. That's how I know the ancestors are here. And I think everybody has access to that if you deepen into that. But journeying is another way of doing like a guided journey. It just opens that portal to the ancestors. So it's a way that I love to offer to my clients and my community to help them connect as well. 
So do you record your own guided journey and listen to your own voice guiding you through that? It's usually when I'm doing it with other people, because I do a lot of journeys for my circles and all of those. And that's usually, I get tons of information and downloads when I'm doing that. So I almost have to speak it out loud and be in the vibration. And then it sort of all comes to me in that way. That's my favorite way of doing it. I probably could listen to my own voice. Yeah. I mean, I've been in one of your circles. It's absolutely spectacular. I love it. And it is, it's like transcendent. It it feels very transcendent. Um, when you say that everybody has access, if somebody in any culture, right, we, we all have ancestors. So how would you encourage people who are listening today that might be interested in starting with their own practice? Like what, how would they go about that? Well, for the first thing that I wanted to say is I know that there's folks out there that don't want to connect to their ancestors because they're like, well, I didn't like my grandpa or I didn't like my aunt, you know, like they just have this or they have a really wounded relationship with their with their family and with their ancestors. So I think we have to start with a lot of compassion, first and foremost, for our relationship with them and know that there's so much healing available, even if you did have these wounded relationships. And also know that there are ancestors in spirit that may not be your direct relatives, but they show up as ancestral guides. And I just think that that's a really important vehicle for people if they don't have that healed relationship with their family members or they don't feel a connection in that way. There's also a lot of trauma that keeps us from our ancestors, like whether there was um, attempted genocide or you're adopted or you've had to move across countries and you feel a lot of trauma that that's there. So I really like to start with some healing and gentleness and compassion for whatever you've gone through in those family lines, because I think starting from that point is going to be really important for your um, sacred connection in that way. I also love to just have people, if they have living ancestors, go have a cup of tea and ask about the stories. As Indigenous people, we are, um, we're storytellers. We're an oral tradition. We never even wrote things down. We passed along our information through stories. So I think story medicine is just so vital. And if you have the blessing that you have ancestors alive, ask them all the stories to tell you those things. So there's a few ways that you can go about, but I think primarily what I see in my communities is the disconnect comes from some trauma that needs to be healed first. And once we do some compassion healing, the the connection just opens up and the ancestors flow through. That's a really beautiful way to look at that because uh, when you think of the people who are disconnected from their family and they they don't know their lineage, some of it is because that person had trauma and had a difficulty um, developing a healthy relationship with their kids or whatever. You know, especially you look at the Second World War, like you said as well. There, there's traumas that are generational and they're passed down whether we like it or not. Right? I think that people think, oh, I'm separate from them. I'm not like them, but in fact, we do carry them in us. They, they're part of our bodies, right? They so um, yeah, this is a very beautiful invitation for people. I think to do the healing, be gentle and to move into the wholeness of your being. All right. I want to ask you about one of your most powerful and fascinating teachings. You teach about the path of the 13 Ojibwe moons. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So the 13 moons are, well, there are 13 moon cycles in a year. There's not necessarily 13 full moons. It just depends on that year and how it all falls. But the 13 moons actually, which is so beautiful, is they are reflected on the back of a turtle shell. So if you look at the turtle shell, you'll see the 13 markings in the center. And that's how we used to 
sort of record what the timing of the next full moon would be. We'd go around and see the markings on the outside and then we'd see, okay, it's time for planting, it's time for harvesting, it's time for hunting, whatever that is, that's how we used to see it. And I just love that. I think that's magical that the moon, you know, the shell of the turtle is kind of looking up at the moon. The moon is like shining down upon that. It's soil and stars. Like that's what I feel that really strong connection. And Arthur's, the 13 moons I teach about in my book are based on what was going on in the landscape at the time for Anishinaabe people. So if somebody on the West Coast would have completely different moon um, names, you know, you may hear wolf moon or pink moon or beaver moon. And that just depends on the landscape that you're in because every First Nation is almost like their own little country. We tend to make everyone a monolith and say like all Indigenous people are this way, but we all lived in such different places and we had different traditions and stories and foods and ways of being in the world. So the moons I teach of are very specific to what is now known as Ontario because that's where all my ancestors are from. Oh, that's wild. I love that. And you're right. Everybody does look at things like a monolith or um, not everybody. I mean, now we're starting to have some education around this, but this is this is very important to recognize that it's not the same everywhere, but this is something that's sacred to you and it's something that we can learn from regardless of our ancestry, right? Is that That's why you wrote that. Yes. I know, because I read it and it was so good. <laughs> so I know this is such an important part of your book and you've said to me many times that for people to learn from you, they need to hear the truth, even if it's uncomfortable and they just really need to care. So now I'm going to ask you, how can we be respectful? I think that the first thing is to be conscious of the land that you're standing on. I think that's a really a first step and also honoring. So people say the land acknowledgements and sometimes it's just words or it's from our mind. But what does that really mean? For me, when I say I am standing on the lands of the Anishinaabe here on Wendat, Haudenosaunee peoples, we are still here. I think it's so important because we're not putting it in the past. We are still here. And also the spirit of that land beneath your feet has witnessed so much. So how can you actually embody, feel the bottoms of your feet on that land and maybe tune into the spirit of those peoples who came before you and are still here? And then how can you be more conscious and aware of what they're experiencing being still here in this country that does not put them as first people anymore? How can you be conscious of the water that's not clean? How can you be conscious of the suicide rates and the alcoholism and, and why all of that's happening and the attempted genocide and all of the women that are murdered and missing that our country doesn't care about? So I think that those things are really important to, to start doing research about as you're just doing that land acknowledgement, if you're going to do that in any space. I think that's really important to open our hearts. I also think it's important that we have the capacity to open our hearts because we've been going through so much pandemic wise. And I know that folks say to me, I, I can barely survive myself. I don't have any ability to help anybody else. So working on that capacity is so important to be able to see other people's struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that being respectful starts with our feet, starts with our feet and just feeling into that. Oh yeah. Starts with our feet. Well, I know we stand on treaty and traditional lands of the Mississauga nations here where we are right now. My feet are right there right now. Um, and it's about education, I think too, compassion and education. It's, it's an important thing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So if you think about the future, the uncertainty of the future, what solutions do you personally wonder about, right? When you look at, mm. here's where we're heading. What does Asha Frost think about and consider? Mm. That's such an amazing question. 
You know, I think about the seven grandfather teachings that we carry. And I think about that as walking in ceremony every day with every interaction we have, every um, word we speak, every intention we hold. I think that we walk in these ways. It's like love, bravery, respect, truth, humility, honesty. If we walk in that way as much as possible, I think that we can create a healed future. I have hope. I think we need hope. My name means hope. My given name means hope. And I think that holding hope is really, really important in these times because it's been a lot. And that's where those nervous system practices come. You know, I do a lot of shaking because the energy is so intense and just clear myself so I can be a clear conduit for spirit. Yeah, wow. Hope, you're right. We need hope. And there is hope, but it's work. We, we got to do some work around that hope. But hope is a real, it's very real. You know, these are invitations and the invitations, if we're willing to do the hard work, the serendipity lines up in our favor. So hope becomes a reality. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It reminds me of the story I told you about, like becoming a homeopath. You know, it's like I did work so hard and I thought I was doing all the things. And then spirit took over and said, no, this way, this is the way you're supposed to go. Um, And it turned out to be just the perfect path. So I think there's I really believe in the magic of life. I think we have to. There's just magic everywhere. And if we just open ourselves up to that, it can touch us. So I'm making this year all about being expansive to the magic touching me. That's so important for me. Ah, I love that. Yes, make this year about the expansion of the magic within. This has really been profound. A lot of what you said has really hit me in such a deep way. And I'm super honored that you're here with me today. So let's keep the conversation going, but we're going to take a little break now. And when we come back, we're going to switch gears and enter another playful dimension of the Wooniverse. It's called the Tea Time After Party. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm your host, Colette Baron-Reed, and this is the Tea Time After Party brought to you by Magic Hour Teas. And I just want to say, I love everything about these magical teas, and I think you will too. They're offering my listeners 10% off, so check them out at itwpodcast.com forward slash tea. Okay, so we're switching gears, and we're traveling to another dimension of the Wooniverse. It's a playful one called the Tea Time After Party a place where we're going to kick up the fun. And I'm here with the lovely Asha Frost. And joining us is my executive producer, Connie Deletti. Hi, Connie. Hey, it's great to be here. Wasn't that a great interview? Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? That was an amazing, truly enlightening interview. And Asha, I just want to say, while it was going on, I was pre-ordering your book. I'm not (laughs) going to lie. I'm like so excited. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is going to be fun. So Asha, we have some kind of fun questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'll ask the first one. If you could have a magic power, what would it be and what would you use it for? Oh, I would love to be a shapeshifter and be able to shapeshift into different animals, especially the ones that could fly. I dream of flying a lot. So I'd love to be able to fly and swim long distances and leap out of the water and just explore um, the places that I haven't yet gone to. Would you pick a specific bird that you would want to become? Of course, I'd love to be an eagle. 
I'd love to be an eagle and just like be able to see the big perspective of all that's going on. That would be my favorite. Oh, that's beautiful. Connie, do you have a question? Yeah, actually, I just want to ask you about flying. When you have your dreams of when you're flying, have you always had those kind of dreams since a child? Yeah, since a child. And they come back and forth sometimes, but I've always had those dreams. And I tend to fly over the same landscapes as well. So I'm not sure if those are past life memories or what that's all about, but I love that. Tell me about one of those landscapes. Oh, it looks like Ireland, actually. <laughs> That's what I actually usually see. It's like really, really bright green um, grass and it's very vibrant. So that's the sense I get it's Ireland, but I haven't been there. Wow, that's interesting. So I do have a question. If you can make a magic potion and give it to society, what would it be and what would you like it to do? Oh my goodness. Well, I love, as soon as you ask that question, I see the cauldron coming before me and I see all these sparkles <laughs> going in and me stirring it up. So it'd be filled with so many sparkles and so much potential. And I would love to just like sprinkle that out to the world and so that everybody could remember that they are part of that divine source and that they belong and that they are perfect as they are and nothing needs to be fixed. Oh, I, I love that. that. Yeah, I love that. We need that right now. Mm-hmm. I think so. And would it come in a body cream? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. A ch- yes, a chocolate, a chocolate scented body cream. I love it. Oh, sparkly chocolate scented body cream. That sounds great. Yeah. You meet an extraterrestrial. Now they're asking you for advice. They want to move here. What would you tell them about living on Earth? Oh, I I couldn't think Earth's a great place. I know it can be dense at times, but I really think this is the place where we evolve. So if that extraterrestrial terrestrial wanted to evolve and grow, then I would say stay here. There's lots of opportunities for that. <laughs> if you don't want to, then you can leave. So that would be my advice. Right. Keep traveling. Keep traveling if you <laughs> yes. don't want it. That's really great. Why do you say that it's dense at times? They use the word dense. Mm, yeah. I just think maybe that's a sensitive part of me or that really empathic part. Sometimes I do feel like that sponge and I'm taking on a lot of that collective energy that's heavy. So I got to shake it off a lot, I think. But it feels filled with light too. I just think it's that different aspects of our of our experience that are both important. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to ask this one. If your current energetic mood had a smell and a taste, what would it smell and taste like? Hmm. I think it would smell like sage and it would taste like strawberries. <gasps> sage and strawberries. That's so mm. cool. Why sage and why strawberries? Sage, when I light sage, it brings me back home to who I am. And it's just an instant, it's an instant remembering for me. So if I'm feeling anxious or nervous or upset or anything. It just brings me back to my truth. So sage just feels like it's an essential part of my balance. And then strawberries, um, strawberries is the heart berry. So I think the strawberries just reminds us to come back to that heart-centered place, which is always my mission every single day. So that's why those two came forward. Oh, I love, I'm going to think of you every time I have strawberries now. Right, Connie? Absolutely. So I have another question for you. So your kids, you mentioned your kids, how old are they? So they are four and nine. Wonderful ages to do magical things with. Do you have any fun things that you do with them that are magical in nature? Yeah, so I love to remind my kids about wishing and dreaming. And we have these little wish papers and we crinkle them up and we make all these wishes and then we light it up and it soars to the sky. And I always say, imagine they're going to the stars and all our ancestors are witnessing your your wishes and dreams and they always laugh. And sometimes it doesn't float up and then we think, uh-oh, what happened to our wishes? <laughs> but when it does, it feels extra magical. So we love to light things and sparkle things up around here. Where do you get the wish papers? You can get them on Amazon. <laughs> Do you really? 
<laughs> I have to get some. I want to yes. come to your house and do so wish fun. papers. <laughs> Are they like those little kind of like almost not wax paper, but like a parchment type of paper? They're sort of parchment. Apparently you can do it with coffee things too, like filters. Apparently that's the material that it is, but they're, I love them. I use them in circle and they're just so great. Oh, I love it. Okay. So you know what? Let's pull a card now and let's find out what spirit wants to say is kind of summarize our experience together. That was great. I actually want to come over and light those things up too. Although my house is made of wood, so that might not be such a good idea. <laughs> light it on fire. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to ask spirit to connect with us. And okay. So this is interesting because we got higher power in protection. So the higher power card in protection, this is from my deck, Wisdom of the Oracle, is a reminder. So it's, it's saying that we often think that we do this world alone by our will alone, and that this is an invitation to remember spirit in all things. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Asha. Oh my goodness. I love that. I, I think higher power is just such a I mean, we use the great mystery or great creator, and I always just feel like that that is always informing us, no matter what we believe in or what we call it. So uh, that is always an invitation for me is like, what is my higher power calling me to do and how is it calling me deeper into my medicine? So I just really love that that's the card that you pulled today because it really speaks to where I'm at most days. That's really beautiful. I love that you said that. You know, and this is what I love about your work so much. You're so generous and gentle and yet so strong in your approach to invite the learning. So in your book, you have an invitation for the reader to learn more. Do you want to talk about that? Hmm, Yeah. So one of my calls to action is to read the Truth and Reconciliation Report around the residential schools and the truth of what really happened. And I think if every Canadian read that report, I believe that they would have deeper compassion for the truth of all that happened to all of the children and all of the people and why we're still experiencing the things we are today. Because that is one thing I hear and read in the comment section is, get over it, get over it, stop being a victim, stop being a victim. And we don't understand the generational impacts that all of that trauma and attempted genocide has. So if you read the report, I believe it would just open up a deeper understanding for everyone. And these are calls to action that the government has been asked to take that they have not yet. So I think that if we all read that and we all cared about that, maybe we could all stand for that too. So here's the moment when I like to think about what we learned. And just being around you, reading your book, I mean, I was so privileged to be able to get it. And I realized that what it makes me feel and what it makes me learn just in general is it's such an invitation for us to care. Just like you said about reading the Truth and Reconciliation content, it's about caring. And that's what I've learned from you is I learned to care. What do you think, Asha? That's really when I write anything or I speak my heart and my truth. That's, I really want some tears to well up in people's eyes. Like that is actually the nature of my book. Somebody asked me, what is the purpose of your book? And I said, if tears come to people's eyes and a remembering comes from their heart that we're all connected and we are all part of humanity and you care, then I've done my job. So I'm glad that that's what it invokes for you. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today, Asha. And for more information about Asha's upcoming book, You Are the Medicine, please go to youarethemedicinebook.com to learn more about Asha, her teachings, her offerings. Go to ashafrost.com. This was fantastic. I love you so much. I admire you so much. And I have learned so much from this conversation today. Wow. 
I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. Until next time, I'm Colette Baron-Reed. This was Inside the Universe. Take care, be well. Time to share the way we love Become the ones we're dreaming of You've been listening to Inside the Universe with Colette Baron-Reed. This episode was recorded at Universal Network Studio by Chris Dupuis. A special thanks to our executive producer, Connie Deletti, and our producer and story editor, Julie Fink. Audio post and supervision by Michael Seifert and David Shaw at Sumo Recording. Original music written and performed by Michael Seifert. Original music, Truth Begins, by Colette Baron-Reed and Eric Ross. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or leave us a rating on our Spotify show page. Do you have a question about something you've heard here today for Colette? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at colettebaronreed.com and your question could appear on a future episode. If you love what you've heard here today, we have so much more to offer. You can access our bonus content, keep up to date with new episode releases, featured guests and prize giveaways, all by clicking on the link in our description or by visiting us at itwpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you join us next time Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine.